This podcast was created using Anchor. Boom, 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 We're back. We're back. Welcome to The Swirl with Brie and Dave. I'm Brie. And I'm Dave. And this is The Swirl with with Brie Brie and Dave. Dave. This week, the theme is sex. Oh, we had very different. (laughs) But I was also reacting to the fact that you're slurping your coffee into the mic for all of our friends. Well, I want everyone to know that we are comfortable in our bedroom. Mm. We've moved the podcast out of my closet, which... I think has also created this open sound, which we're not supposed to have. But you know what? It's fine. I've lit a candle to create ambiance. Why do I say the word create weird? Create. This podcast was created using. I have a problem saying created. Have you noticed that? No, I never have. Wow, you usually notice everything. I know. You've said it at least 23 times now, and I've never noticed it before. Mm -hmm. Say it again. Created. 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 Like, 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 marriage. <laughs> marriage is what brings us together today. Oh, dear. It's like that. Anyway, I've lit a candle for ambiance, mm. and we've got our notes on our iPad, and this week's um, subject, which we do not have a guest this week, P.S., so it's back to the old ball game it's with just us. It's very intimate. It's a very intimate episode. Sexy episode. Special sexy episode. <laughs> Now, I just want to also, I I want to just, I want to calm uh, and reassure my mother and my daughter, who are regular listeners, friends of the pod. And mother's friends. It's perfectly safe for all of our friends and family. This episode. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to get into the nitty gritty details of what goes on right behind us in that... uh, (laughs) In the magic room. In the room of magic. No, we we are not going to talk about our sex life. I mean, we, it Maybe may we come will. up a little bit, yeah, but nothing. we just want to spare you those details. But you won't get some details. Yeah. But you'll get important salient details in other directions. Of sex is a very broad topic, babe. Very broad. As very we, broad. As we but anyway, discover. let's start the episode with uh, our normal check-in, which we just want to say, hello. Hi. We love you all. And let's have a COVID vaccine update covid vaccine update (laughs) really good one so i think it's important to tell like those the last time we were uh together um we we were what what happened babe we were had we gotten the vaccine i think we were in our interview with katie weber and 
Um, we had gotten, or we hadn't gotten our vaccine yet, but we were going we to were get it the, to get next the vaccine. Day. So now we've gotten it. So I just want to, I think we should just for, as a service, we should just let, let the kids know what our experience was real quick. Cause it was great. Yes. And y'all should get this vaccine the second you can. And it, as of this past week, we know uh, that there will be vaccines available uh, for every adult by May 1st. I actually think it will happen before then. Oh, it's it's already happening. Yeah. I mean, to be honest. Um, so the question was, how did we manage to get a vaccine? Because yes. it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's at the moment, it's not the easiest thing to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to um, say that it is something you should get, whether you think you have your, whether it's your turn or not, you should go and get the vaccine if you can get an appointment absolutely get the vaccine because at the end of the day they're throwing out vaccines that people who haven't been able to keep make their appointments for whatever reason uh don't show up or whatever so when we went they were just all about getting these shots into the arms of people yes so let's first preface this with how we were able to get this vaccine we at the time were clinically obese um we have been i mean i've been battling with it for about a year and change um it was kind of like right after the wedding um, she just went ham on the food. Literally, <laughs> I went ham. And you went ham. You went, went pork ribs. Ham. You went yeah. You went par. Oh, that's I good. I went par ham. Yeah. Um. So you went burgers and fries. Okay. And we have to let that go now. So <laughs> I have been battling with that, and David also has been. Much so worse. We. <laughs> I didn't say that. Oh, and it's true. Okay. Well, either way, we had. Uh, d- what is equal to a doctor's note? David had an actual doctor doctor's note um, from this wonderful medic uh, medical place that we started with called Forward Medical, which is a monthly subscription. And there's a really fancy clinic in Soho we go to, and we get our blood taken, and it's all about preventative health care. We just started because my well, both of our insurance uh, w- was terminated. Insurances were terminated terminated at the end of November. Um, his because we moved and mine because uh, mine was through the Actors' Equity Union, which no longer could pay into it. So we both suddenly were healthcare-less and we joined this thing called Forward Medical. And if you don't know anything about it and you live in New York, you should definitely check it out because it's about 150 bucks a month. The first three months, if you get referred, are $100. And um, it's way less than COBRA. And we'll give you a referral. Just DM us. Yes. Um, and and uh, so we had this information said we were obese, and that is one of the comorbidities, comorbidities. that you have to have if you're getting a vaccination in New York, to, or even in in New Jersey too. It's it gets you in group one B. Yes. Yes. Actually, it gets you in group one C in New Jersey and one B in New York. Now the difference in in Jersey is that they don't have a lot. They don't have as much vaccine here, so it's going out much slower. Um, and in New York. We could still go because we both still have IDs because we just moved. And frankly, it would have been difficult to figure out in New Jersey what to give them to prove residency in New Jersey because we had just moved here. Right. So we actually, because we had everything from New York, it was easier to just say we still lived in New York. Yes. And so that's how we did that. Um, we went... Let's talk about the experience. I I stayed, and I will say this again, if you're not using TurboVax.info, you have to get on it because it's not easy. You've gotta be very attentive. You've gotta refresh the page often. But I find between the hours of like 11.30 p.m. and 1.30 in the morning, um, appointments, a lot of appointments open. I was even able to book my friend two appointments uh, last night. 
So I'm like the person, it's like a game to me now to, to get appointments. So it's exciting. If you need an appointment and you live in New York, just let me know. You're the vaccine whisperer. Yes. So I was up until about 2 a.m. and I got us appointments. One pair of appointments was at SUNY Potsdam, which is six hours from here. But I was like, oh, we really need this. So maybe we should take a road trip. You have to understand we're, we're, we're flying to San Diego for a Breeze concert. Yes. Uh, with Symphony. Right. So we wanted to get this done. Yes. So, um, and then I was able, once I stayed up, to get to get two appointments in the Bronx at a place called the Lincoln, Lincoln Hospital. Lincoln Hospital. Um, so you love to say South Bronx. Well, that's where it is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So anyway. I don't so we know. Were I feel very badass. And I got David an appointment Bronx. for 9 a.m. And my appointment, I, I was typing so quickly, but the appointments go quickly as well. So my appointment didn't wasn't available till 3.15, I think. David went at 9 a.m., and this is his experience. Yeah, I walked in. There really wasn't much of a line, and then they broke out the one line that they had. Make sure you go in the main entrance, not the side entrance. And the main entrance of the hospital, Lincoln Hospital, is a huge hospital, and uh, they broke the line into two for people who'd been there for their second shot, and those people with their second shot were going, being ushered in very quickly. I barely had time to fill out the form that, that the man handed me um, from my first uh, vaccination shot line before I was ready to go in and get um, registered. Um, and in my case, because I had this uh, letter from the doctor from forward, I was able to give that to them and then they just inputted it. But I said, my wife is coming later this afternoon. She does not have a doctor's note. And the woman who was registering me said, don't worry, she can just come in, we'll take care of her. And why didn't you bring her with you? And I said, well, because um, she her appointment is later in the day. She said, you could have just brought her. The earlier they get in, the better. So I said, oh, okay. And so there was not a great deal of um, screening and they were, there was no way on earth they were going to turn me away once I was sitting in that chair yeah. to register. Um, and the whole thing, I was... I, well, the whole thing maybe took 20 minutes uh, from when I got in line, got registered, uh, waited. Um, actually, no, I went straight from registration into the room. Yeah, me too. Um, and there was, a, there was a nurse there. Her name was Michelle. Her name tag had a weird R in it somewhere. So it was like Michelle. And I said, <laughs> is your name Michelle? And she said, yes. And I thought, so the R is silent. Anyway, Just that's like really my age. It's like your age. It's very immaterial, but uh, yeah. Then she, uh, you know, I, I, she, she gave me the shot. I didn't feel anything. She was really nice. She gave me a whole bunch of uh, hand sanitizer and a, you know, a, a box of uh, masks and gloves and, you know, all kinds of accoutrement from the New York hospital. And then I waited in a, in an auditorium off to the side for I guess it's fifteen minutes. So you have to make sure you don't have any. Uh, reaction, and then I left, and the whole thing was really, really fast. And at every station, the 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 person said, "Why didn't you just bring your wife? She could have gotten a shot with you. Why didn't you just bring your wife?" So I didn't get the impression that it was going to be difficult or, or or a hard hard thing. They really just were, and it was it was a little hectic, but very efficient. So he texts me at nine thirty. Well, I text him and I said, "How is it all going?" And he's like, "Well, I'm pretty much done." Um, and then he gave me very specific directions on what to do. And he said, "Everyone's saying you should just come now." And it was nine thirty in the morning. My appointment's not till three fifteen. So I just I just threw on clothes. It was pouring raining that day. I jumped in a cab to the Bronx actually because I just was like, "I'm not doing the whole commute right now in the rain." Um, 
Got up there by about 11, went in at 11.15, I was in the line. And I had the same experience. There were maybe seven or eight people in front of me. They were getting pulled out to do the second vaccine. So the, the line was moving very quickly. I couldn't fill out the forms fast enough. It was only two pages of forms. Um, I did not have a doctor's note because I had messaged my doctor on the forward app and said, you know, I'm going to get this vaccine tomorrow. Can you give me a doctor's note? And she said, actually, you don't need one. This has changed within the last few days. You don't need a doctor's note. All you need is a signed comorbidity form, which you can find on this website. And she put it, oops, sorry. She put it on my, um, in, in the app, in the message. So I just clicked on the link. There was the form. I printed it out and signed it and I took it with me. Um, so when I got in line, it was about three minutes before I was getting, sitting down to register with a very nice lady. Um, she asked for my ID. I gave it to her, my New York ID. She, uh, and I said, I don't know if you need this, but here's my comorbidity form. And, and she had not even asked for it. And she said, well, what, what is your medical condition? And I said, I'm obese. And she literally was like, where? I'm Amen. trying to see where. Amen. I was like, okay, ma'am, don't start. So, but she did not care at all. She put the information, they take the information, it looked like she was scanning it into a computer or something. Yeah. And then she gives it back to you and she gives you your registration card and says someone's going to, or go into conference room two. I couldn't even walk to conference room two. Someone grabbed me and said, I'm going to be your uh, nurse for this. And grabbed me, took me right to the room. She was so wonderful, this wonderful black woman. So interested, because in, I was telling her about the gig I needed to go to and that I was so excited to be vaccinated before. And she was like, oh, what do you do? I told her what I did. She said, oh, I'm gonna take my family to see Tina. It was just, which is so sweet, because Katie Weber was on last week. Um, and so it was just very, just relaxed. It was a full kiki with this woman. She gave me the shot. Honestly, I didn't really feel it because I'm so used to getting blood taken, and to me, that's a bigger needle mm. than this vaccine needle. It's so small. Well, they got to find a vein when they're taking the blood, so it's a bigger deal. Yeah, it's it, and it's also in the crook of your arm, you know. Mm. So anyway, it was so easy. Yeah, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel anything, and then I I sat in the room and texted, and boom, I was out. And it took about, I mean, with wait time, about 25 minutes. Lincoln Hospital. Um, Lincoln Hospital. South Bronx. And I heard many people say, many people say they were so glad that they had changed locations to Lincoln mm. Hospital because it was moving so quickly and so much more efficiently who had gotten the first shot somewhere else. So that is the place I got appointments for my friends last night and I hope that everything goes well with them on Sunday. But yeah, and they don't have any comorbidity. Well, one has comorbidity, but um, we've actually, we've we've gotten... Maddie and Brandon on the train. Yep. We've gotten um, our friends Gina and Ken on the train because we're all going to Mexico later in the year, and you know we just—I I just want all my friends to be vaccinated. So it's so I'm like, do you need me to make an appointment? I can make an appointment. I can find one for you. So it just feels really good to sort of be making that step. And even our friend Kara, like she didn't want to go and make up something, so which is totally understandable. Even though nowadays they're really not even asking what's what your issue is, they're they're really not. It's about getting the shots in the arms. It's about politics. It's about numbers. And I keep explaining this to people. They could really care less why you're there. They just want to get shots into arms. If you have an appointment and it's in the afternoon, just go in the morning. Um, I they 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 cannot turn you away. Even when I tried to 
she said that my appointment for the second shot would be March 20th. I said, oh, we're going to be out of town. Can I make it the 18th? But it was too late because I was coming back to do it. And she said, oh, just come on the 18th with your husband. Um, they, they can't turn you away. Oh, and that's the other thing. When I made the appointment for the second shot, it was going to conflict with, we were literally going to be on a plane. And I said, can we do it the day before? And she said, sure, that's fine. So we made it the day before. And then she said, just bring your wife with you. Yeah, it's not, I mean, people are very, it, it's it's very lax. and Very and, efficient. But yes, very lax. yes. Not to say that anything is sloppy or done wrong. It's just about getting these shots into people's arms. So if you have the chance and you can get, and also calling your pharmacist, as our friend Kara she what i was gonna say is she did not want to make up anything about it or like even imply that she had a comorbidity so she just called her regular pharmacist at um walgreens and she said is there a wait list for extra vaccine he said yes you i can put you on it there's a lot of people ahead of you and i believe it was either that day in the evening or the next day in the evening he called and said can you be here within the hour we have vaccine and she got the first vaccine yeah and she hadn't she of course had been sort of laying back on her laurels because she said well there's people who need it more than me there's older people so i'm not gonna even try and i said no you've got to try because there are ways to get this vaccine for younger people right now and you just have to be on it you just have to make a call and when one is available, if it doesn't get into an arm, it goes to waste. It goes to the trash, y'all. So it's just the faster we all get to, uh, you know, immunity, then and the sooner we can all come back. Now that Johnson & Johnson is out, which I've had some friends get that one, it's, uh, you know, we were talking about this the other day, in about two months, it's going to be a surplus Yeah, you, you'll, you'll be able to walk into any Walgreens or CV. I mean, we're, this is just where we are right now. Soon it's going to be... Yeah, it's going to be everywhere. There'll be more of it than, than you can than you can get. And the Johnson & Johnson is, of course, one shot, which you all know, um, and also is just as effective that they, they believe now as the Pfizer or the Moderna. Yeah. It, it was tested later in the process when there were variants that were more um, virulent. Um, so that's why it had a slightly, like, 7% less uh, effectiveness. Um, 7%? Really? It was from 94 to, like, 87, 89, so somewhere oh, in there. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, but which, which is an outrageously high percentage for a vaccine anyway. Um, so let's, uh, let's go do it and we can all get your vaccine, please. And get back to your life. And that's, uh, that's our vaccine update, babe. Vaccine update. I don't know if that boom, was the boom. same jingle. No, it's different. All right. Oh, we didn't talk about vaccine shaming. Okay, which, I do want to talk about vaccine shaming. Yeah. But, but this came up when I, I noticed uh, it was our friend Amanda, not our friend, but friend. our fan, or we're fans of Amanda Kludes, was talking about she got to get in line in a car with her son in the back seat and get a spare vaccination. And then she immediately got like this celebrity bashing. You know, you only got it because you're a celebrity. No, she got it because she was in line uh, and she, you know, waited for this vaccine that would have otherwise been thrown out. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just want to, you know, that just made for me the point that the desire to be vaccinated and to be free from this disease is something that benefits all of society. So any reason you can get it in any way you can get it, if it doesn't go into you, it will go into someone else who needs it, but it's not not going to someone who needs it. Anyone who needs it is getting it. Um, yeah, there's this thing on social media, it's something, you know, it, it, it popped up when I logged into Instagram and then it went away because it wasn't a newer post, but somebody had said like, social media isn't the place to put your vaccine photo or whatever. And I was like, 
And I, you know, I only saw it for a second and I thank God that I only saw it for a second because I would have gone in on that person. But it's just like, you know what? It is the place because there are so many people and they're not the people who you think, people of color, who are uh, nervous about this yes. vaccine because it came out so quickly. This is in air quotes um, because, which is, it's in air quotes because obviously they've been working on this for years. Um, but I think it's important to show people I'm getting it. It's easy. It's not easy to get, but it is attainable um, and it's safe and I'm fine. And now I feel safe. And I'm telling you, when you get it, you will be so jazzed because you'll feel like you're making a, a step forward. And after a year of feeling stagnant and just stuck in one place. And like you can't do quite anything. Literally, or, or, yeah. Like you can't do anything. It's so freeing to go, oh my God, I'm on my way to being able to do something. And protecting myself and other people. But in terms of social media, you know, if social media can be the place where bigotry gets normalized and... Um, right. You okay. Know, and and racism gets normalized and and profanity gets normalized. Then it can also be the place where getting the vaccine. Sexuality gets normalized. It can be the place where getting a vaccine gets normalized. So you know, I, the, the the shaming was, don't use social media to take a shot in your arm without you know giving a lot of information about what. I was like, okay. I actually think a picture of people getting vaccinated is helping because I think it normalizes that this is something we're all doing. I agree. And if that's all you do, everybody, everybody, if you don't put information on it with your photo, sure, that if that makes somebody wants to get their vaccine, they know how to go and, and research in their vicinity to go get it. So, you know, the the vaccine shaming goes along with the, with the shaming of, uh, you know, don't talk about what we've all been through for the past year. Um, oh yeah. Everyone's because too, we've oh, seen it and we've all lived through see it. These and it, year posts. And, and it's like, I felt that personally. You know what? <laughs> he felt that personally. A lot of people felt that personally, but you know what? Guess what? Everyone's posting. And, and that's the thing. Like, of course you have to feel the trauma again. And that's annoying. No one wants to do it, but that's, that's life. Boo. It's difficult. Just stay off social media for about a week. You're going to be all right. And that brings us to, this week in Gaggery. I want you to know that went off without an edit. That was brilliant, babe. Wow. Good job. So uh, my Gaggery is going to be the thing that we're all like looking at this week, which is it's been a freaking year. It's yes. been a year. And we got through a year. And I want to talk about where I was with this a year ago. Now, I posted a thing about I went to see Mrs. Doubtfire, and that was my last Broadway show. So I posted the playbook, which I have not been able to put away, just like in hopes I know, that, I know, you know, that will put out the energy of you know, like the last time we were all in that kind of a room together and I was like seeing friends and hugging them. And, you know, it, we were just, we kind of knew this was coming down, but nobody could really fathom what it was. But I remember the moment that I knew this was not going to just be a month because at the beginning it was like, we'll be back next month. And then we'll very least we'll be back in two weeks. Two, months. two weeks. I saw on my agent's, um, his Instagram, you know, he put up a little story from last year and he's like, this is the day that we were released for a two week paid break. Yeah. And you know, in the story he's like, Oh, I'm so excited. I'm so ready. Let's go get pizza. Like people were excited about this break. So where I was, was I was, it was the Saturday after everything closed on that Thursday. I went to my last uh, gym class at uh, 
at, 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 at the CRF class in Soho. And afterwards, I was in the grocery store around there because I knew we were going to have to start getting stuff, just supplies and whatnot. So I was in that grocery store and I was listening to a podcast. Um, and I, you know, I, I get my information from a few places that are not, you know, they're all great. Niche. But, but they're a little bit niche. One of them is um, electoralvote.com, which you're talking about for politics. And another one is I listened to Michael Moore's podcast, Rumble. And I was going through the aisles listening to Michael Moore and he was saying, Okay, so I've gotten this information from, and he, it, it was, it's squared with what I'd heard only one other doctor say. It was Ezekiel, Ezekiel um, um, Emmanuel, uh, who'd said, oh, this is going to be at least a year, um, which everybody ignored and nobody thought, I mean, everybody thought, oh, he's just being crazy. Uh, but Michael Moore went on and on about this is a, and how many people are going to die and how long it was gonna take. And it all made so much sense to me. I just thought, this actually feels like what this is going to be. So I remember between Zeke Emanuel and Michael Moore, and just kind of putting together everything else that I was reading in the Washington Post and in the New York Times and you know whatever, I, I was thinking, this is not gonna be easy and it's not gonna be simple. And for Broadway, and I was also talking to my friends who were like in the Broadway deep, you know, producerial part of it who were saying, we're going to have a fundraising season that's going to be completely taken away. Um, you, you, you know, you, you, you have to be selling tickets in advance and who's going to sit in a seat in, in one of these theaters. And I remember talking to a couple of friends of mine who said, you know, New York is resilient. We'll bounce back, but we'll be back by the summer. And then and I would say, OK, uh-huh. And then I think another friend who was just like, oh, I can't imagine it would take longer than June. You know, like, okay. But I really knew from like March 13th, which was the day I was walking through that grocery store. And, and we had tickets to opening night of, of six on Thursday when that was the show that got uh, canceled. Uh, so I came home and I, and I just said to, I said to Bree, oh, babe, I, I think this is going to, and she, you did not want to hear it. You remember? Um, no, I actually don't remember. Did I block it out? You, you, you were just. You, it was upsetting because it's upsetting, and I just thought, well, we're gonna have to face this because this is what we're up against. It's unfathomable now because you know the last time Broadway shut down, it shut down for like two days after nine eleven, which was a huge deal. I mean, I lived through that. I was, yeah, I'll never, I'll, we'll never see that again. But to to try and fathom. Uh, you know your entire industry shutting down for at least a year if not a year and a half or two years and by the way nobody knew there would be a vaccine by the end of the year that was the hope but the real thought was this is going to be one to two years and only not two years if there's a vaccine so i just i just wanted to say you know we're uh, thank god we got a new administration in that is actually going uh to make this work but uh that's uh, that's the gaggery. Is uh, we've done a year of this, and I just wanted to talk about the things we haven't talked about, which are those initial moments when we kind of it dawned on us um, what this really was. Yeah, I don't even know that I. Well, I always tell you that I I always felt like this wasn't strange. Like I always felt like I would live through a time like this. Mm. 
even was since I was a kid. Like I always felt like there would be some big thing that I'd live through. So interesting. Um, so this wasn't shocking to me. It only was disturbing when it affected like, well, first of all, when people started dying on in big numbers. And then also when work started being canceled and postponed. But there's a certain relief that I feel sometimes when things are canceled because I'm like, oh, I don't have to learn that. Great. <laughs> you know, because I have been working my ass off for like the last 11, 12 years in New York. And pretty much I don't take breaks really. You'll see me on a vacation occasionally because I do treat myself. But I don't take a lot of breaks. I go from job to job. Thank you, Jesus. Um, I think the biggest break I ever went on was when I first met you. And yeah. I was in between. I hadn't gotten Mormon yet. Um, and then once Mormon ended, or excuse me, once I went into Mormon, everything just went started revving up again. Um, whether it's on Broadway or a concert or a small you know, thing at Symphony Space or uh, 54 Below or an online thing. like I usually have things I'm doing. Um, paid things, you understand. So for to suddenly go, oh, there's no paid things. What? Okay, so we need to hustle to find out how we're going to get help. And that was the most disturbing thing for me, I think. Um, but we figured it out and we actually got ourselves. This is another thing is everyone, no one wanted to ask for money yet because it was like, oh, we need to leave this for the people who need it, who really need it because, you know, we're in a better place. And of course we were in a better place, but because I had David in my ear going, oh, this is going to be two years. <laughs> I was like, oh no, we applying for everything. You know, because there were people, friends of mine who weren't applying for help from the Actors Fund. I have no problem asking for help from the Actors Fund. You know why? Because I'm out there with them buckets in every show I do. And I, I, I sign up for many days because I think the Actors Fund is an incredible organization. Broadway Cares, Equity Fights AIDS, like I love them. So I always want to help. So when it's time for me to get help, I have no problem. But there are a lot of actors who were like, no, I'm not in that position yet, so I'm not, you know. And we were being fed this kind of, it's going to be a month. It's going to be a month, And right. I knew from basically day one, it's not going to be a month, y'all. It's going to be a year or two years. Right. So it was a this weird, uh, what is that called? Dis, discon, what's that called? Cognitive dissonance. Thank you. Cognitive dis, dissonance. Because we're living in this very expensive Upper West Side apartment, but yet... I am, what, yet we have no work, like up, upcoming work. Thankfully, you had some Disney help. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, but, but you know, we had nothing coming up and I'm applying for like help from the Actors Fund and SAG-AFTRA. And it's like, what? So, yeah, all the work I had coming up were actual workshops with actual people in actual rooms. Right. And of course, I had real things happening with the San Diego Symphony and real productions happening with the Muni, Muni and a real possible like... Broadway, two possible Broadway shows in the fall. So it's it just like went three, really. So it just went to like nothing. And I didn't mind that because I really like being home with David. Sorry, we've gone off in the gaggery. We're just like going on. <laughs> no, but it's fine. This is the gaggery. Yeah, it's just I, I love being home with David. And, and we had spent so much time of the 2019 of me away um, on tour and going to do SpongeBob in England and and then the wedding and so it was like so nice to actually just spend time with my husband day after day and I still don't really get tired of him so I God. I'm appreciative of that time because we really had conversations that made us uncomfortable and you guys heard a lot of them 
Um, so yes, we're a year in, but I'm, I feel like we're on the other side. I feel like this is going to end much. We've been saying, you know, late fall and it's, it's going to be sooner. It's going to be much sooner. So I'm so hopeful. And I just, I, that's why I'm sticking to everybody get vaccinated and be responsible and wear your masks. Of course, when you get vaccinated, still wear your mask. I mean, we still have to take precautions, but I think we're on the other side of it. And in, and in about three or four months, it's going to be a different time. And we're all going to be so grateful. I mean, I may cry at this concert that I'm doing. Well, speaking of which, let's just let's just give a shout out to Rob McClure and his latest video, which you all got to check out. Oh, yeah. It's which great. made us both kind of crazy, ugly cry um, about that that moment when yeah, uh, it's a, when it all comes we will back. be back. There was a Broadway con, uh, like a little concert done in Times Square yesterday. And I think it goes along with it because it came out yesterday, right? Um, just this theme of we will be back talking about Broadway. And he's so great at doing that. But oof, it gets you in the end. If you can, I don't know what the video is exactly called, but. I think it's called We Will Be Back. But just look for Rob McClure on uh, Instagram. You'll find that. And, uh, you know, be prepared to. Uh... Conductor Cam, season two, episode one. He does this series called Conductor Cam. It's Cute. It's really cool. Yeah, you should look at it. Anyway, so Rob McClure. Yeah. And that's This Week in Gaggery. All right. We'll be right back with Sex. And we're back. All right, babe. Here we go. It's the theme of the week. Theme of the week, baby. It's the theme of the week. So you guys, you know, we've got these themes every week. And we put sex in because David was like, ooh, people will listen. Anything with sex in the title, they'll listen. Well, this is because you know, I... know, he, he's all about these analytics, honey. Because I looked at, at, at the analytics and the title, oh, the one title that was uh, between a sex shop and a crematorium... Oh. <laughs> Got the most hits, and it didn't matter. Like we could have like special guests. I mean, our special guest episodes do the best, but the one that had sex in the title shot up <laughs> over all the other competitors. And I thought, okay, yeah. So we we went ahead and just put a whole episode around it. Okay. So my name is Brianna. My name's Dave. I'm a black girl. I'm a white man. And we have sex. <laughs> Damn. But I thought, and wait, it's awesome. Yeah, just trust that. Um, I thought that we should talk about like our earlier historical experiences with sex and how our parents talked to us about it, and then like I'd love to know how you t- approached it with Maddie later on mm. because I think that affects. Maddie was my daughter, for those of you who are just listening from Malaysia. Yes, Malaysia. No, I told you. Mm, love your work. Shout out to Malaysia. Um, so I want to know, like, what was your, what did you grow up? Did you have sex education? Did your mom talk to you about it? I'm kind of lean toward no, but actually your mom's pretty progressive, so maybe not. So liberal Jewish Democrat parents in the Midwest, in the Midwest, Cincinnati, Ohio, 1962, I was born. So, so these conversations would have started in the early seventies, you know, the Mm. dawn of the, you know, free love movement and, you know, the end of, uh, you know, the hippy dippy movement. So, um, there was a book in the basement, uh, called everything you always want to know about sex by (laughs) David Rubin. Um, it was a crazy book. 
And he wrote another book later called Any Woman Can. And then he wrote another book later called something else. I haven't really thought about wow. this. Uh, and they were down in the basement. Um, and uh, so I remember <laughs> just going down there and reading that book when I was like, you know, like eight or nine. It was 1972, I think that book came out. So I was like 10, wow. maybe 10 years old. I was down there in the basement reading the book. But what I'll say about my parents is very sex positive parents. Both of them zero shame about sex. Awesome. In the early 70s, both of them. Um, and, you know, they were, my dad was like a, like a big time philanderer. He took us on a, on a, you know, like a camping trip with another couple and the woman he was banging clearly. And it was just like, I didn't know, wasn't aware of any of that. But, um, you know, I know there was a lot of not great <laughs> energy in that department between my parents, but, but they modeled affectionate behavior mm -hmm. around us and they, you know, they had a very, I remember just early conversations, eight, nine, 10 with my parents where they were, they never had any sort of bad reaction. Like it would matter what I would talk about. Um, I remember my mom saying something about pornography, like when I was 10, it was so funny. Cause she said, I just think you'd get bored watching it after a while. It was oh, really wow. funny. Oh, I love her. So a very positive, no shame around sex. And I think that also came from like, you know, Jews don't tend to do the shame around sex thing. So that was never mm, a point. I don't and, know. And you know, so in spite of whatever was going on between them, they you know, they projected to us um, that sex is a beautiful thing and you know, beautiful expression of love between two people. Um, Did and you something have sex education in school? Yes. So in the early 70s, uh, it was your gym teacher, I think. And I may be actually just imagining that. But I remember classes very specifically that were, you know, you had sex education classes in, you know, probably seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Um, it was part of physical education. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they did the anatomy and they talked about, you know, what sex was and how to use a condom and whatnot. And, and they did talk about, um, now I went to performing arts high school, so I don't know how different it was, but I know that there was a Cincinnati Public Schools curriculum for sex education. So this was early 70s in Cincinnati at the Cincinnati Public Schools. And so, yes, there was there was uh, it, it, it got into some of the emotional, you know, impact of sexuality and, oh. and what it meant. So it was, you know. I don't remember who the teacher was, but I remember that we had it. But by the time I was sitting in a sex ed class, I pretty much knew everything because between, you know, the books that I was reading and, and the conversations that I was having with my parents, mm -hmm. um, it was, uh, you know, it, it was all, I pretty much knew what was going on. And I, my earliest sexual experiences were, I was between the ages of, I was almost 13, I was like 12 years old. And I had read about, um, you know, like I'd read about oral sex in these books. So I knew what that was. Mm -hmm. I knew what cunnilingus was and I knew what fellatio was. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I had a girlfriend. Well, I had a girl who was a friend who was, a, I mean, you know, <laughs> what do you do? I mean, you know. Exactly. Um, but uh, she came over to the house when no one was there, and at we, twelve, twelve years old, and we actually, Marsha, did you know this? We had, um, and we had oral sex uh, with each other. Oh my god! And this was before I actually even had semen. Like I hadn't even masturbated ever. Oh god! So I didn't know that there was like this. I physically didn't know that there was like this completion thing called an orgasm. So we're like doing this. 
I'm doing it for her and she's doing it for me. And then I just kind of like, well, that was really lovely. <laughs> let's just, you know, let's go watch, you know, television or whatever. Oh my God. And that happened. And then, and then, um, then my friend Sid, uh, who, Strit Matter. Sid Matter, who was, <laughs> who we love, who we love, who was, you know, like she knew everything about everything at that age. And she was a popular girl. Really popular girl. <laughs> no, she had a boyfriend, Ron Bomer. Oh, yes, yes. So anyway, so Sid got, I guess, mischievous or jealous or something. And she decided to invent this French girl named Shannon LaFavrette. And Shannon LaFavrette <laughs> called me. No, she didn't call me. I was on the phone with Sid because in those days, this was in the 70s, you were just on the phone. So Sid and I were on the phone all the time with her other friend, Lucy. So Sid and Lucy and I were like, like oh, yes. fast friends, close friends. And Sid thought she'd do this thing where she pretended to be this French girl. And she broke me up from my girlfriend that I was having oh my God. oral sex with because she was promising to go even further. <laughs> and Part, so this is all over the phone? All over the phone. Oh. And then, like, I went to, like, meet her, and then, oh, she didn't show up. And Sid was like, this mischievous, horrifying little, <laughs> evil little 12-year-old. And she would be like, oh, she's just outside the, you know, the burger chef. You got to, you whatever. And she was, like, not there. And I had gotten on a bus, and it was this whole thing. And so, and by the time I went back to the actual girlfriend, she was, you know, like, well, no, you're horrible. And I have a new boyfriend, Tyrone. So, oh, Tyrone. So, and yes. I think you better call Tyrone. <laughs> but the good news was that I, I turned all of that into a screenplay, which I then used as a sample to get a ton of work when I lived in LA. Oh so, my God. Yeah, so it all worked out in the end. Just put it into your art and it will it will work out. <laughs> but that was my, so that was, that was my earliest sex story. And then, um, yeah, so that was, I kind of just kind of lost my virginity in, in that uh in that in that way at very early when did age. you lose your virginity i was uh i was uh i was 16 i was 16 oh i thought you were younger no okay i mean i was 12 when i was having sex but then oh, nothing, right, right, right. but then nothing really happened again until i was 16 wow yeah um so we i my family my well my let's let's just do my mother my mother you know i'm i'm from mostly single parent household my mother talked about sex all the time with me she was always like she was like i want you to wait until you're married but you really need to try that out first um nice. <laughs> before you get married Bravo, Cheryl. she was right um <laughs> and we would t we had a my mother and i were very close for those of you who don't know um and we had we were just we talked about the specifics of sex. I remember even in college, like a guy came to visit me and like wine and dine me for the weekend. And my mom was like, tell me everything. And so we talked about everything. I'm talking about size. Um, just like we just. Do women talk about size? Yes. And does size matter? N no. It's. um. <laughs> but. Look. It doesn't need, first of all, there's this, there's this misconception that the longer your penis is, the better sex is, which is for most women wrong. It's mostly to do with girth. So if you're giving a fierce, you know, six inches, but it's giving me girth, 
then that's going to be okay because we know how to use it. You understand what I'm saying? Because most of that stimulation is coming from the sides of your vaginal walls, right? So the long thing, like I've had long, I've had short, and the short is terrible. And the long is terrible as well because it's like, oh my God, I'm dying. You're killing me. You're stabbing me. So... (laughs) So I would say it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. Um, but anyway, back to what I was saying about my. But that's mother. why we tune into the sex episode for <laughs> yes. those little yes, yes, tidbits. Yes. Right but there. so my mother and I would talk about all of that, and we would talk about her sexual experiences because she was single and all of that. Well, for some time. Um, so it was open. It was very safe, like your family was. And um, we had sex education. Did we have sex education? I don't think we did. I'm thinking of... Kansas City. I was in, Yes, I was in Kansas City, but I went to private schools. I went to a Catholic school from 6th to 8th grade, and I went to a private all-girls school in uh, high school. So um, <laughs> we had a girl get pregnant, and when she started to show, she was no longer a member at the school wow, or a student at the school. So yeah, we, because of the Catholic thing, we didn't really talk about it. But of course we all knew we, I, I've been exposed to sex from a very young age. Um, and thankfully I've never been through any sort of like assault or abuse, but, um, I definitely knew what was happening from television, from uh, people like I'd be at a babysitter's and they'd have Showtime on and I would be interested. I'd be like, what are these people doing? So I would just watch. And I also found my brother's pornos on VHS because um, he would he would tape over things. And I'd be like, well, here it, I, I was trying to watch this Jamie Foxx stand up and here we are. <laughs> So Ass I, masters. Yeah. <laughs> what? Uh, what? What was? What was the? First of all, how old were you when you discovered your brother's porn? Oh, probably around the same age you were, like really? ten. Wow. Yeah. Because the, he was eighteen at that time. My brother's eight years older than me. So yeah. And what did you think? Because I don't think I saw. I didn't actually see porn until my print. The principal of my high school. Well, I'm much younger than you, babe. Drove so us porn to Newport, Kentucky. Drove three of my friends Oof. and I to Newport, Kentucky to Cinema X. Which is a different, it. another whole story we're not going to get into. But I definitely experienced um, abuse, sexual abuse, uh, vicariously through a couple of my friends who were uh, um, who were molested by the principal of my school. Yeah, which is a yeah. whole thing. But we're not speaking about that. We're, I mean, so we can talk about sexual abuse, but thankfully, neither of us have actually. Yes. Experience. had that experience but yes i was always encouraged to be really like embrace my sexuality um and to you know my mother i came from the bible belt right missouri so we it was a conservative family a lot of my family was baptist and then we were catholic um and so she had this wonderful way of sort of balancing like morals with but you are a human being and, and you need to embrace your sexuality. So I'm grateful for that. Um, I think I will just say, I think in my adult life, I have been open to, I've been fluid. I didn't know I was fluid until I was. Um, I didn't know I could fall in love with a woman, but I absolutely did. And what was that transition like? Or what was or was there a transition? Like there was this moment when you, you're, you're with, no, and you just go, does the, the light switch go? I mean, I think for me, in college, we used to play spin the bottle. We actually did that. And we did too. 
we would, and I would have to make out with girls. Oh. And I never minded it. See, when when I played Spin the Bottle back in the 70s. You didn't make out with girls? I, well, you couldn't know because then you'd have to make out with guys. There's no way oh. guys are going to make out with each other. Oh, interesting. So there was no uh, no yeah. homosexual uh, uh, spinning the bottle in, okay. my, in my circle. Even though it was performing arts high school. But yeah, that's very interesting. No, it wasn't. But uh, yeah, we were definitely, I was definitely making out with girls. And I knew that I didn't mind it. Um, So when the... The Katy Perry factor. (laughs) (laughs) When I started to kind of notice this woman that I was working with, um, I was already in a relationship that I had sort of had one foot out of. Um, and sh- she was so, she took such great care of herself. She taught me to take great care of myself. She was so fun and funny and sexy. And it, it was just like, I already, I'd already been attracted to women in my past. So it wasn't like a transition. It was like, oh yeah, this is a part of me, but no woman has ever really shown me, um, interest. And now this one mm. is, and so I'm open to it. Mm. And, you know, I was ready to marry her, um, and, and even when I took her home to family, like that was a difficult moment, but my family actually really opened up and was, they were very um, accepting of where I was. And it was mostly because the matriarch, my grandmother had said, um, if, if, if we have to choose between not seeing Brianna and seeing her, then we're gonna see her. And if she's gonna bring this woman home, we're gonna deal with it. And everyone did, all the sisters like went in line. Thus, so, thus greasing the skids for the day she would bring home a white man. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> then God. it was a little easier. Of a, uh, excuse me, a twenty-two-year-old or a twenty-two years uh, your elder. Exactly, yeah. white man. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think I've always just been very open to it. Have you ever like made out with a guy? So here's my homosexual experience. I had one. Oh my god! And it was uh, which would freak a lot of women out, especially a black woman. But I'm like, no, you should explore that, but just not like while I'm with you. Oh god, I was no, I was. It was around the same time. Okay, so this is actually connected to my previous story. So I'd had oral sex with uh, her name was, and um, and 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 Sid broke me up with over the imaginary Shannon Lafavrette. Uh huh. And Which is so, just ridiculous. Ridiculous. And so about, I don't know, maybe half a year later, maybe maybe a year later, not even that many. I was I was maybe thirteen, um, and uh, you know I was I was in the uh, I was in the musicals at the Jewish Community Center. I was in the I was in the Performing Arts High School. So everyone assumed I was gay, and that's been my whole life. Oh, that's true. Everybody's assumed I'm gay, and I, I did. I've never understood this because. You have a high voice, and you all you talk about is theater. Oh no, I get that. Oh, okay. The part I don't understand about why music theater, uh, the the love of Broadway or being a part of musical theater equates to being gay is the part I've never understood. Because when you're in musical theater, when you're in that world, you are surrounded by hot girls. Like that's your world. And when you go to see one of the shows, they're all up on stage, being hot and dancing. And I'm like. So that's supposed to be gay, but me, if I'm watching football with a bunch of men in tight pants getting into piles on top of each other, that's super, super macho. <laughs> I've never gotten how that is supposed to be a thing. Yeah. So there was a guy who just knew I was gay, and he was like, you're, you're definitely gay. He was like three years older than I was. He was 15, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And I remembered I just wanted to have that experience again of of you know having like oral sex again now that I knew you know that it could lead to something. Oh sure. 
So I thought, okay, he's really coming on to me. Who knows? Maybe I'll like it. Maybe, whatever. So I let him try. And I'm 13. So when you're 13, basically the job of being a boy when you're 13 is to not walk around with an erection. Like that's your job. You have one job. Don't walk around with an erection. And for some reason, he is going, he's pulling and trying everything. (laughs) I can barely... I can barely function. I'm just like, and we're at the Jewish center. We're in some room. So uh, what you're saying is you don't have an erection. I kind of got one. I, got, you know, I, was, I guess I was thinking about some, you know, a woman or a girl or whatever. Um, and he's going to town and nothing, not much is happening. And eventually I have to stop because nothing happens. And I say, hey, you know, I just like, I just masturbated like yesterday. So maybe I had to make some excuse yeah. about why I couldn't come. And oh, okay, well, I'm sure. And that was it. And I, and I, because I'm very young, I'm 13, so I go away from that. I think, gosh, I wonder if that means I'm gay. Like that's maybe, I, maybe I'm if that that experience. Cause I, I did that. And then a couple years later, it just dawned on me. Oh, that's the story of how I'm not gay. Yeah, yeah. And so it was really good that I had that experience when I was that young, mm-hmm. because I was able to. I was able to contextualize it in such a way that I never wondered about it again. Like I just never like, and it enabled me to just sort of like, I like musicals. I like Barbara Streisand. I like Liza Minnelli. I like all of this shit. And I like girls too. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really clear. So I was never, I never had that moment of just like when I was 18 or 19 or everyone's coming of age around me or people mm-hmm. are coming out where I went, oh, I wonder. And then I would have, I mean, I got hit on a lot and it just was like, oh, I'm really flattered. It's just like, that's not, it doesn't do it for me. And I happen to know it doesn't do it for me because I actually tried it once. Right. And it really didn't do it for me at a time when it absolutely should have done it for me mm-hmm. had it been that way. Yeah, I think, well, my coming of age, I guess, was way late because I was 26 when I was in this relationship with a woman. And I had always said, oh, I'm never going to have any type of, I could never go down on a girl. Like, that's not what. But yeah. you did. But I did. And it like wasn't an issue. It was like, oh, okay. By the way, that also kind of uh, greased the skids for me too. So it was really, all of this is Well, when me. I met you, I, you know, David is very direct. So it was clear that he wanted to have sex and, and be, and actually it was clear that he wanted to marry me because he, he said it. He yeah, was, was like, I want you to be my life partner. Yeah, and I, was, I know that. I was pretty clear. <laughs> pretty, pretty early on. So I'm talking like five, six weeks in. So I... Yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, so which was actually, I adore that. I expected, I was like, hmm, I've never had sex with a man who's... Actually, that's a lie I had. Um, <laughs> yeah, so what were you thinking? When I was 22, I did I did have an affair with a 45-year-old man. So, so I guess yes. But, but I had never done that with a white man. So I was like, and I of course had had slept with white men, maybe like two, um, but I three, but I had never. Sorry. Okay, six. <laughs> okay, twelve. <laughs> um, so I, but they were younger, so I didn't know what to expect, and I was like, oh god, he's probably gonna be like wrinkly and and like gray. It was weird. I didn't know what to expect. And none of that was And none of was. that was true, but okay. I remember telling my girlfriend... A little faster like, on, the, on the uptake <laughs> of the story, please. <laughs> on that resolution. I remember telling my girlfriends, like, you guys, it's not old and wrinkly. Oh, and Jesus they were God. like, it's not? Oh, <laughs> because Lord. they were all black girls. <laughs> so, <sighs> I, so that's been a delight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you set the bar pretty low if that's what you think's going to happen. Well, you just never know. <laughs> so anyway, and I also didn't know like how, 
it was very interesting because had you been with a black woman before you had yeah yeah and i of course i had but just like understanding sex with you're not so like i had never had consistent sex and been in and been in the, a relationship with a white man so that was like i had to compartmentalize the relationship in a way it was like okay when we walk around this is what we look like and then when we have sex this is what we look and feel like and then this is what we are when we're with friends and we're like out to dinner like I had to compartmentalize and it didn't all gel for me until about like right when we announced that we were engaged we were announced that we were engaged because we got engaged almost a year before we announced um and I wasn't ready yet. And I knew I wasn't ready. And it was because those things hadn't gelled. And I don't know how to explain it other than that, but it was just, it's, you have to take it all in and see like societally how you're perceived and and then turn it back around and go, is that okay with you? So I had to do that in all those different ways and it wasn't, it wasn't together yet. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I mean, that that's- it's, it's... Maybe you had none of that. I was really, and I'm not talking about hesitation about it, but you probably don't think about it, or like how it's perceived when we walk around and we're arm in arm, like, and it matters to me, and it, it and, and then I have to be okay with that. So if black men come up and say, "Oh, I can't believe you did this," you know, my sister, eh, I have to be okay with that. I have to be grounded and stand in the fact that I'm with this man. He doesn't look like me. He's much older than me. And we are in every way linked. And like that hadn't, I wasn't okay with it until like around we announced our engagement. And, and it took about two years for me to be like, okay. Cause I also wrote like slave play and the themes of slave play and why that, we, we have issues with the play and it's writing, but I thought that what it was talking about, the, these sort of old historical tropes uh, and roles that black men play, that white women play, you know, and, and how those have sort of transferred to 2021. And I think, you know, when you, there's, I don't know if some of you haven't seen Slave Play, but it's, it sort of explores, uh, you can probably say this in a better way, no, I think it's, it's it's just an exploration of how the history of race in America mm-hmm. uh, in, informs uh, sex between interracial couples. Yes. So, you know, the first scene is this slave girl who's like twerking as she's cleaning a floor. And then this white man comes in and like takes her and they're doing a role playing exercise. You, you learn later that they're doing a role playing exercise um, because she has this fetish with being like the slave girl and having the master like own her sexually and i think that you don't i don't think of that specifically but i think it i think of it sometimes like not when we're having sex and i'm like wow that's not a thing but it is a part of me the idea of that and we're we're doing 23 and me we just got our 23 and me's back and it's like, I have so much European in me and Scandinavian and Central Asian. I'm like 22% European. And it, it's like, that was a real part of my ancestor's life. 
that idea. So I cannot help but carry that with me. And so when I have, so when we have sex, I don't think of it, but it's just like something that it touches up that historical memory, which is not even my own, but kind of is because it happened sometime in you know my making. Um, it like touches that part of me. It's weird, and it's not all the time, but it's like something I think about. And how does it? Uh, not often though. Okay, and how does when it does? Does it always affect you negatively, or sometimes do you find that no. titillating? Or no, it's, it's sometimes it's titillating, and sometimes it's like sickening. Interesting. How many? Uh, how, I don't know. We've not talked about this. No, I mean it's funny because we we what we when we saw slave play, we felt curiously unimplicated by slave play, and we were really ready to just feel challenged by it and mm-hmm. gawk away, challenging you know that qu- questioning our very existence as a couple, and none of that happened. Like we were really like right because the, the, the issues of those characters were not our issues exactly right. So that we were we were sort of untouched by it in that way, and we were kind of looking forward to being touched by it in that way. So we actually haven't had that conversation about okay, so there. there is that element of it that resonates with you yeah Um, and i think maybe i've been more in touch with it now because of everything that happened last summer and just like the whole thing brianna taylor we're a year out from that and you know it's like it made me feel more in touch with my blackness my culture and I already was much more even since like college and even then since high school, you know, every every year has been sort of, because it, it wasn't what I was around. It, I had it in my family, you know, but I didn't have it in my schools or like where I, who I was surrounded by. And as I've grown up and done like all black shows or predominantly black shows, I've now got this circle of black women and, and men around me and it's just different, the feel of it. And so it's allowed me to sort of open myself up to that more than when we were sitting in that audience. Um, and I always found it interesting, but I did. But I thought that the play went off and veered in a very specific manner that then I couldn't relate to. Um, but I liked the ideas that it was bringing up. I did. And I found them to be great conversation pieces. Like even when we left, we were like, ooh, yeah. Let's talk about this, you know, and I and I I thought, you know, the the idea that the black man is is choosing this white woman, but he's kind of in his own world of self-hatred. I mean, that's a very real thing that's still happening to to a certain degree. Um not to quite well, actually, yeah, in that degree. So, it's it's interesting because I've been able to process it differently. I think as we grow, we can look at things that we looked at a year ago and go your level of understanding is different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's it's it's definitely um, progressed since then, but it's not bad. It's just added more layers to our relationship, especially even doing this podcast, because we're viewing everything through this filter of race and through our our own experience. And I think, um, yeah, it's it's really really interesting. I've also just been more educated in the last year and a half than I have probably my whole life. Because you just had time to kind of... I've, I've had time and the not, the information has just been more accessible with the real black history and, mm. and you know, that stuff that I didn't, I didn't grow up learning, unfortunately. So this reminds me of a moment um, which I don't think you and I have ever discussed, which is in a 
an essay that I wrote um, that's in a book uh, that was edited and uh, by by Nanama Dankwa mm-hmm. called The Black Body, and I and I I have written an essay in this book, and she asked me to write an essay about my experience um, as a white man uh, dating a black woman. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment in that essay um, where the black woman, and this is based on this all happened. The black woman, not all, but this black woman um, was. Uh, going to um, perform a particular act and would have required her being on her knees mm-hmm. and instead she uh, she took me by the hand took me to the bedroom and said there's um, there's no way I'm getting I'm, ne- I'm getting on my knees in front of a white man mm. interesting and uh, so you know there's there's that resonance you know yeah. right there that's real yeah yeah, but then it's the same the same unpacking that I had to do with the George Floyd murder, like when I didn't want to be around like family that was white. I didn't want to be around white people, which included family. And it was like, okay, I have to unpack this because my family is actually white. My husband, who is my best friend, who knows pretty much the deepest, darkest parts of and corners, he's white. So how do I make this, how do I fuse this feeling of anger with just my daily, this is what I have to do. I have to talk to him. I have to let him in, even though all I want to do is like shut, zip up the tent and call it a day. And I think the same thing happens with that. Like, ultimately you're my husband so maybe that was a different relationship because you weren't like committed to each other but I, I that has never that idea has never come into my head I, I don't have those but I know a lot of black women it's who funny do. I, and I, I've observed that it has never been like it's never come up between us like between us it's never right. been that those those dynamics which is why we sat rather unmoved by slave play because yeah, it, none of I, those issues ever 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 came up but it's interesting to hear that for you they sort of do they do in that in only in that specific situation of like so it was never I never yeah I never on I never had to do that and I think it's because when I was with other white men it when it came down to sex sex is sex like it's all it is physical and emotional, yes, but I'm not. I'm not normally carrying like history with me, so it never. It was about that person, and so I never thought, oh well, this man is a white man, and historically, this is gonna make me feel like a sellout or something, or or less than. I never. I never had that, and I don't necessarily have that now. But now I think of those ideas. And I mean, in terms of me walking down the street with you and like what I think th- people think, if I ever think about it, all I ever think you is... You never think of it. I don't. But if I, but to the extent <laughs> that I do, I, I, I'm just thinking, wow, I'm, you know, I'm with the most beautiful woman in the world. And if anybody, you know, is looking, they can just be jealous of something. Right. And then they're on the flip side of that, there's a, a man who's walking by, a black man, who says the exact same thing, but because of his own historical experience, may be very angry. Yeah. You know, or may not care or may love it. You know what I mean? Like it just depends. And I had to sort of just be okay with all of those options happening. But, you know, you have to have enough faith in your choice and your partner and your situation before you can say, I, I don't care. Like you, you know, people say, I don't care what people think, but 
I do. I, I'm an artist. Like I literally make my living on what people no, think. No, me too. Me too. So, um, yeah, it's very more. It's much more complicated for me, right? Because I have to, like most Black folks, have to learn how to have that duality. And so I, sh- I don't know if it looks good or not. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it might it might be different if we lived in, you know. Um, DeKalb County, Georgia, or, no. you know, or... Well, no, I don't think so. I think I would still have that. It's, I think there would still be this feeling of, oh, does that white woman, is she upset? Because I've experienced that where older white women are weirded out by the fact that we're together. Uh, and then there's the thing of, oh, people, people love us together because it's progressive and it's another reminder of how far we've come in America. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's We get all, more of that, I would say. We do, but I'm always operating in two worlds and yeah. I'm always like very cautious about who is perceiving us and how they are perceiving us. So if we're walking in Midtown and a group of black girls walks the opposite way of us on a crosswalk and I hear one say, oh, she got her a sugar daddy, like... I'm very aware that that is the first thought that most people think when they see us together. And I think that's actually changed. That was at the beginning of our relationship. But we just carry ourselves in a different way to where we look like we're together now, <laughs> which is probably a lot to do with me and my accepting of I do. our I, relationship. I re- it seems so long ago now, but I do remember that period of time between when I first asked you to marry me and when you finally wanted to make it a, you know, public which was a long period of time. I remember that there was that moment that seems so remote now where, where you really were trying to sort out how yeah. you felt. Yeah, it was real. And it still sometimes is, you know, but then we have experiences like when we were in New Orleans and we would go downstairs to that coffee shop at um, the hotel. At, what was it? Royal Sinesta. Yes. And... Um, there was a black lady, light-skinned black lady who worked down there and she would wait on us and be so nice. And I think on our last day or something, she was like, I just love you too. My husband's white too. <laughs> and it was just like, there were these people and it was almost like they were hiding in plain sight, but they were so, ex- they were excited to see us together, especially black folks and the love that we have because we do have a lot of love and humor and we, we always just are having fun and we don't really care if, if you're into it or not, but like... It was so nice to be seen in that way, especially by a black woman, you know. We had a similar experience when we were in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's it takes a lot of bravery to choose what we've chosen. Um, this is off the sex topic, but but all kind of related. And, and um, it was I'm, never a question of courage for me. I just loved you. But it is and, courageous because... There are white people who probably think you are like dating below your station. Those people are racist and awful, but you know. I don't, yeah, maybe. And I, then there I, are white people who think you, who automatically think you're woke. And it's like, mm, he's, he's as woke as he can be, but there's a whole lot of shit he is still learning. And it's good. It's good that we're together and we have, we have so much patience for each other and where we are. And it's, it's good. It's good. But it's definitely, I think, I think it's work. I just definitely, I, well, this is not really on a sex topic anyway, but I really would recommend being in a relationship with someone who is not a reflection of yourself. Yes, Lord. Because it really keeps you, it keeps you not only, it it just keeps you nimble. It keeps your brain active. It keeps your, it keeps your growth happening. You keep on learning. And your heart. 
open because those other experiences color other people's lives, right? Like my experience is a, has a huge effect on how I perceive the world. And if you are let in on it, then your perception, like your world is just so much bigger. Were there other questions on the um, sex agenda bit? No, I think we've, we've hit, I thought that was really interesting. And we'll be right back. Boom, 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 boom. And we're back. And we're back. So babe, any um, end of the week uh, thoughts before we go? No, I'm just going to put uh, Governor Cuomo in my prayers. Mm. and um, You don't want to know what I think about that. <laughs> we're not going to start on it because David and I have, we're just like, he old and he's single. That ain't new. <laughs> he's old I, as and long he's as no one is actually sexually abused or assaulted, I'm like, that's about normal. Um, I don't know that it deserves a resigning, but but he's a flirty old a Italian American flirt- guy, and, and that's clear in his press conferences. Like, and, and he makes, this is not a surprise, but it's also not okay. It's but not it's okay. also and so he should have sloppy. learned by now. He should have learned. I mean, fucking Me Too happened three years ago. Come on, man, get get yeah. get your shit together. Uh, the 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 actual. Sorry, I really didn't mean to talk about this. The but. actual charge of a kind of a version of maybe physical assault, he denies flatly. Like that never happened. Oh. And and so I think okay, let's take him. Let's take him at his word. Prior to investigation, let's take him at his word on that. And and look at just the behavior, which is. You know, boorish and, you know, yes. but it's all of that. It's inappropriate, He is certainly. what we call a dick. Like he's, and, he's, and he's inappropriate because he's one of the most powerful men in America. So he should not be doing that. But, okay. We're but what? him. We're, we're, we're Al Frankening him. Well, the Al Franken situation is completely different. That was ridiculous. Yeah, that's true. It was ridiculous insofar as he should never have left. He should never have left. That picture was stupid. I mean, it's just like, okay. And there's another element to this which then leans into my, you know, my, my lefty liberal um, conspiracy theory mind, which is, um, you know, the only person who can actually be of jeopardy for Trump in New York City ultimately is the governor of the state. The governor of the state can ultimately pardon him. Andrew Cuomo is not pardoning Donald Trump for his crimes. Right. But a new governor who comes in might. Mm, I see. So, you know, the I don't hold, I don't, uh, you know, I don't trust any of these guys from from that world, from that Trump world of not being the most heinous criminals of all time. So what they would do to actually frame Andrew Cuomo just at this moment with a bunch of fucking stories because I, I've come out not believing the Tara Reid story against Joe Biden. Like, he uh-huh. says it didn't happen. Yeah. Nothing like happened. And, and there was no pattern around that. So I feel really fine about Joe Biden. But I, I feel similarly like I'm just, I think we should have an investigation into all of this. Oh, absolutely. Um, and he wants that. And when they ask for the investigation, as Al Franken did, I always think what they're asking for is... Like when the truth comes out, you will see this in a context yeah, that yeah. is like it was politically motivated, or there were there were extenuating circumstances that make it look not like it's being presented. And I I just I'm not sure he needs to go yet. That's my feeling. We're gonna wait on it, but he's still going up in in my prayers. That's not gonna be a popular segment from me. My my daughter's gonna kill me now. You know, but it all goes back to that idea that people can be more than one thing. You can be extremely efficient and helpful 
and a leader when the world is in a pandemic and a hero, but you can also be a, a simple man. Yep. A regular plain old man. Yep. And he's who likes attention from females. Yeah. Um, it's just weird to me that that would happen during the, that time. Just I would feel like he would know that he's being really watched and and measured. Well, he felt very powerful, didn't he? He felt like he was untouchable at that point. People were talking about drafting him to uh, to be the Democratic presidential nominee. So, Jesus Christ. Right? So crazy. Not that man. I mean, but you know what? <laughs> Not that man. But then we had we had Mr. Drumpf. So. We did. Yeah. And now we don't. Yeah. Tweety Pee. Do you have any final thoughts, darling? Um, I do. One last thing before we go, and this will be One the end. One last time. So this week, I don't know if any of you saw, but one of my literary heroes died at the age of 91. Who's that? Norton Juster, who wrote The Phantom Tollbooth. And I know a lot of you love The Phantom Tollbooth, as do I. Um, And he lived a wonderful life. He was married for 54 years to the same woman. And he was actually an architecture student, which I didn't really know. And um, he was, so he, he was, and he wrote a few more books other than that. But that was a book that, really was very seminal for me in terms of reading and language and wonder and and I, I loved that book and I know a lot of you did. I loved it so much that at our wedding yes. there were two readings and one of them we had a few weeks ago mm-hmm. um, from a, a wonderful poet named Oriah mm-hmm. and uh, the other reading was from the Phantom Tollbooth that our dear friend, my oldest friend and brother Howard, Howie read and I'm going to read that today Oh yay! in uh, in, in honor and remembrance of uh, the great Norton Juster, who died at the age of 91. May he rest in peace. As the cheering continued, Rhyme leaned forward and touched Milo gently on the shoulder. They're cheering for you, she said with a smile. But I could never have done it, he objected, without everyone else's help. That may be true, said Reason gravely, but you had the courage to try. And what you can do is often simply a matter of what you will do. That's why, said Azaz, there was one very important thing about your quest that we couldn't discuss until you returned. I remember, said Milo eagerly. Tell me now. It was impossible, said the king, looking at the math magician. Completely impossible, said the math magician, looking at the king. Do you mean said the bug, who suddenly felt a bit faint. Yes, indeed, they repeated together. But if we'd told you then, you might not have gone. And as you've discovered, so many things are possible just as long as you don't know they're impossible. And for the remainder of the ride, Milo didn't utter a sound. And scene. The Swirl with Bree and Dave was created using Anchor, and you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to go there and rate, uh-huh. review, go ahead. and subscribe. Well, it's good. If you'd like to follow us on social media, I'm Brianna Marie, and he's Dave Lyrics. Music for this podcast was written by Bo Black. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time on The Swirl.